as we continue our series titled Simply Christmas, I want to encourage you to think about maybe the biggest celebration that you've ever been a part of, whether you were sort of the the center of that celebration, or you were just helping to plan and prepare for that celebration. Maybe it was a wedding. Maybe it was a 100th birthday party or a retirement party or a 50th anniversary party. I want you to think about the biggest celebration you've ever been a big part of and think about all the planning that went into that. How long uh, in advance of it did you begin to plan and how much preparation went into it and how much was involved? Think about the expense. Think about the number of people that were involved. And then think about, did everything go off perfectly or did you have some surprises along the way perhaps? Maybe some distractions or some challenges that popped up? When I think about that, I think about our wedding, and I think about um, when Heather and I got married almost 20 years ago, it was like the biggest celebration I had ever been a part of, and we started planning months in advance. We did premarital counseling, several sessions uh, leading up to that. We invited uh, people, sent out, mailed out invitations to hundreds of people. Heather's got a really big family, so we knew a lot of them would come. They were all fairly close. My family is a little bit smaller, but that meant the weddings were fewer and farther between. And so every wedding on my side of the family was essentially a family reunion. Everybody came from everywhere, from Florida and Pennsylvania and everything else. So we knew it was going to be a big deal. And, uh, and then there was, you know, the wedding party and the singers and let's not forget the reception. You know, it's funny, this 30 or 40 minute ceremony is at the center of a wedding, but the majority of the expense and the time and the preparation go into the reception, Right. And, uh, and then there was the honeymoon on top of it all. And, you know, hundreds of people, lots of preparations, months in advance. Um, and it got me thinking, you know, we really love to celebrate, don't we? Like, we love a big celebration like that. And there are theologians who have said that the, the human heart is hardwired to celebrate. We're going to worship something. And we can either worship what we were created to worship, which is our Heavenly Father, or we will worship something else. But along with that comes a desire to celebrate, to gather with others and to celebrate something. And we see that in Israel's history um, that, that they were commanded to celebrate. They were commanded to hold festivals throughout the year where they would stop their work, they would travel to Jerusalem, and they would celebrate, and they would do it together as one people celebrating God together. And it's interesting. Uh, it's almost as if God said, thou shalt party. <laughs> you, shall, you shall hold parties, and not just once, not just twice, but three times every year. Get together and celebrate in fact, the first time that that word celebrate shows up in Scripture is in Exodus chapter 10, verse 9, when Moses is speaking to Pharaoh, and he's telling Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they can go into the desert and celebrate a festival unto me. That's, that's sort of the, the first time that that concept comes to mind. And you know how that story sort of plays out. And then as they move into the promised land and they receive the law, the law prescribed these festivals, the unleavened bread, the harvest, the ingathering, that were spaced out throughout the year to celebrate. And that word means to observe, it means to rejoice, it means to be glad in. And so that was all kind of tied in together with this idea of celebrating. And it involved a lot. 
It involved travel in a time when travel was not convenient, travel was not easy. Travel involved maybe days of walking or riding on the back of an animal in order to celebrate. And there were a lot of preparations that had to be made. And there were sacrifices that were prescribed with these celebrations. So you had to plan ahead. You had to either bring your sacrifice with you or you had to bring enough money in order to purchase the sacrifice to make the sacrifice. And then there was feasting and there was worship and it was a time of fellowship and of celebration. Now today, it's a little different, but the concept is the same, and we have national holidays and Christian holidays, and even that word that we use, holiday, has its roots in a holy day, a day that's set apart, a day that's special, a day where we fix our thoughts and our attention and our eyes on Christ um, as we celebrate Christmas. And so that's our subject today is celebrating Christmas. As we move on with the idea of simply Christmas, we want to talk about simply celebrating Christmas. Even that word Christmas is a combination of two words, Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, and Mass, which is the Catholic tradition's word for a worship service. That that Christmas, when it became a celebration in the church, was a special service focused on celebrating Christ, worshiping Christ. And so as we do so, we're going to look at two parts of the Christmas narrative. One sort of echoes from last week when we looked at the angelic announcements, and we'll focus on the spontaneous celebration that we see represented with the angels and with the shepherds. But then we'll also look at the Christmas story as it's recounted in Matthew chapter 2 and focus some attention on the three wise men who didn't just spontaneously worship. They prepared and planned and went to great expense and were very deliberate in their celebration of Christmas. So, uh, first, let's look at Luke chapter 2. And if you were with us last week, um, you, you know we looked at Luke chapter 2 and, and focused on uh, the, the few hours immediately following Christ's birth. And we looked at the angelic announcement as this this news was first communicated of what had taken place. If you missed that message, you can always find our messages on our YouTube page, on our Facebook page, on our website in the media tab. Um, You can even find them in our app. So we've got a lot of ways uh, that you can catch up if you miss a week. Um, But last week we started uh, with this angelic announcement as the angels share the good news with shepherds. And I find it interesting that they didn't share the good news in Jerusalem. They didn't share the good news in the king's palace. They shared the good news with shepherds out in their fields. And as soon as the words had left their mouth, we pick up this story again and kind of revisit verses 13 and 14 from Luke chapter 2. And as soon as the words leave their mouths... Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And if you can imagine, it's like this this angel comes and, and tells them something they couldn't even really comprehend. And as soon as that's over, it's as if heaven had been waiting for thousands and thousands of years to celebrate that Christ had come, to celebrate that God with us had come to earth. And the skies erupt visually and and in sound with this heavenly host singing praises, thousands upon thousands of angels 
singing glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. It's a spontaneous celebration, giving glory to God, praising him. And we see that eruption. And this should be a part of our lives. When the good news comes, when something good comes, do we have eyes to see it? Do we, do we miss it or do we catch it? And when we catch it, do we spontaneously erupt? You see, Jesus said at one point in his ministry, blessed are the children for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When kids are excited about something, you know it, don't you? They can't help but express that. They don't wait. They're not reserved. They're not prim and proper. They erupt in celebration. We see that with the shepherds as well. When you read the rest of the story, they go and see, and then they go and tell. And then in verse 20, as that part of the story sort of closes, we're told that the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It's as if the angels set an example for them. The heavenly host erupts in praise and glory to God, and then the shepherds return glorifying and praising God. They, They did what was set for them, the example that was set for them, and they spontaneously erupted in praise and in giving glory to God. It was a spontaneous response to what they had seen and heard. They were overwhelmed with joy. And I wonder if that, when was the last time that happened for you? When was the last time there was a spontaneous eruption of joy, of giving glory to God, celebrating something good that had happened in your life? And if it's been a while, I would encourage you to have eyes to see that and to celebrate the little things the little markers of joy, the little blessings that come your way. But I also want to spend some time and and perhaps a little more time looking at the story of the wise men who come from the east. And we see some things in this story that really highlight the preparation and the planning that that goes into what they do and that has come to symbolize Christmas uh, for many of us. And so if you want to turn over to Matthew chapter 2, we're going to spend some time there. But as we do, I want to mention uh, a documentary that we've seen several years ago, and we revisited it this year. Um, It's called The Star of Bethlehem, and it's focused on uh, some of the astronomy that goes into uh, the Christmas event. And just in the last 10 or 15 years, computer software has advanced to the point that they can chart the skies and they can go backward because these are all fixed and God set it all in motion way back at the beginning. And you can see what the night sky looked like from any place in the world at any time in history. Pretty fascinating. And one Christian attorney got a hold of this and got really interested in it and researched it and researched the scriptures that talk about the heavens declaring the glory of God and talk about certain events that have taken place and what the skies looked like at those times. It's fascinating. And so if you're interested in that at all, if you are geeking out at all right now, I would encourage you to check this out. It takes about an hour. You can go to the website or you can go to YouTube and search for The Star of Bethlehem and the documentary comes up. And it's, it's a worship experience to watch it, the way that it all points back to God, to his sovereignty before time began uh, to set everything in motion. Uh, really fascinating stuff. But we're going to pick up um, in the narrative in Matthew chapter 2 and read verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? 
We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And I love that purpose statement there in verse 2. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Their purpose was to worship the Christ child. They had gone to great lengths. And before we dive into all of that, I think it's important to understand a couple of things, that, that there were years that were involved in this. This was no small thing. Um, it's really clear from the Christmas narrative that the, that the wise men were not at the stable, okay? In Luke chapter 2, we're told that they put the baby in the manger in the stable. And then here in Matthew 2, we hear about a child in a home. And so uh, it's really clear that a couple of years have passed in between the baby being born and the wise men coming. Now, that doesn't mean that if you have a nativity set with wise men that you need to put them across the room on the eastern side of, of your house or something like that. It's okay if they're there. You can be a great conversation starter uh, with people if you want to, so we don't need to get legalistic about this. Um, but it is pretty clear that some time had advanced, and I think that's significant because they saw the star on the night Jesus was born, and I believe that they researched what does that star mean, and they came to the conclusion that that God had entered human time and space, and they began a journey. Most scholars would agree they came from the region of Babylon, so they went several hundred miles, as many as 700 miles, through the desert on camels, slowly, painstakingly, to arrive in Jerusalem. And when they get there, they ask the question, like, where's the Christ child? And so... um, it's interesting, they, they went all this way without having a, a firm grip on, on what it was going to look like when they got there. They get there, and we see that, that they're not easily distracted. They're not easily swayed. In verses 3 through 8, we, we learn that King Herod, this was news to him, and all Jerusalem as well. They had kind of missed this. They weren't aware of it. So some people 700 miles away had done the research and figured out what had happened, but the people right there that this happened in their own backyard seemed to be clueless to it, which is fascinating to me. And these wise men had traveled with great anticipation, and they acted on what they saw, and they went to great expense to go into worship. They planned ahead. They took gifts, and they went. They they moved, they, they took the steps, they, they traveled to go and to be there, and they brought gifts. And it's interesting to me is that you read the, the narrative as it continues in verse 9, after they had heard the king and all of his surprises and all the prophecies that indicated that Bethlehem was where they needed to go, the king sends them on their way and says, go and worship the child, and when you found him, let, him, let me know where he is. And we know why he wanted to know, but um, anyway, they, they continue, and they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And it's interesting, I always wondered about that. I was like, they saw it two years ago, and now they see it again. What's going on with that? Well, they explain it in this documentary, what's called retrograde motion. So stars move on the elliptical patterns, and so it crossed through, and then it came back around two years later, and it settled right over Jerusalem, and uh, it's, or right over Bethlehem. And it's fascinating to, to chart that all out. 
So they were overjoyed. And then in 11, in verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And so we see, we see so much intention and so much deliberate action on the part of the wise men. And I have to look at this and see that every single step they took from Babylon to Bethlehem was an act of worship. Every single moment of planning and preparation and execution was an act of celebration. It was all part of the celebration. It was all declaring the value and the worth of this child that had come into the world. And I also find it interesting that somewhere along the way in in planning to go, they planned to bring gifts, and they were intentional in bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh, three of the most valuable things at this time. And in the next couple of verses, we're going to read if you go on in your scriptures, you'll read in Matthew 2.13 and following that Joseph and Mary were warned in a dream not to, not to go back to Nazareth and to get out of town, to get out of Bethlehem. So they flee into Egypt. And suddenly, because the wise men had come and paid a visit, they flee into Egypt with gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so they're foreigners in a foreign land, but they have what they need in order to survive until it's safe for them to return. And it also stands out to me as I think about how we celebrate Christmas that the wise men came and they gave gifts to Jesus. They didn't show up and give gifts to themselves, right? Like they didn't say, okay, you have the gold and you give the frankincense to him and he'll give the myrrh to me and we'll just exchange gifts. They came and they gave their gifts to Jesus. They gave their gifts to him and they were never distracted. They didn't once they found themselves in the audience of King Herod, they didn't get distracted and think, oh, wow, we're in the front of the king. They stayed focused on where they were going and what they were doing. And that reminded me of another celebration that we had planned. When we were talking at the beginning of our time together today, we talked about a celebration. And I don't know if you've ever had a party that was kind of a flop. Uh, we had one, and it came to mind as I was thinking about this message. Right after we moved to West Virginia, we started to get invited to Christmas parties. And we thought it was, or not Christmas parties, birthday parties, little kids' birthday parties. And we thought, well, this is the new pastor, and he's got four kids, and so that's probably why we're getting... Well, no, everybody was invited to these parties, and we would show up at these parties, and they were like this huge social event, right? Everybody was invited. Everybody came. The adults stayed, and so there was kind of the adult side, and there was the kids' side, and people rented bounce houses, and they had games and party favors and everything else. We're like, okay, when in Rome do as the Romans do. So our first child's birthday comes around, and we planned out a big party, and we rented or reserved a room in the church, and we had party favors, and we invited everybody we could think of. And one child came to that party. And so it was a flop by all by all, you know, measurements, it didn't seem to bother our kids that much because they had extra cake, extra party favors, extra games, you know, those types of things. I do remember the, the child on the way home saying, well, how come nobody came? I said, I don't know, bud. I mean, a couple people had told us they weren't going to be able to be there for one reason or another, and I think everybody else, it was, it was just, you know, maybe a bad weekend. I don't know. It reminded me of Luke 14 when he's throwing the great banquet, and he keeps sending people out, and I was like, maybe we should have gone down to Walmart and rounded up some people to come to our kid's birthday party. I don't know. Um, but I remember 
as I thought about that and thought about how disappointed we were, and, you know, Heather and I were probably more disappointed than our kids were, like I said, but I realized that the only thing that would have been worse than nobody coming to our kid's birthday party was if everybody had shown up and nobody had paid any attention to our son. If everybody had come and brought gifts for each other and not gifts for him, if everybody had come and celebrated each other and not him, and I got to thinking, I hope we don't do that with Jesus. I hope we don't follow our culture, which makes it so easy to celebrate Christmas without actually celebrating Christ. I hope we don't allow ourselves to get all caught up in the trappings and the traditions, that we don't actually celebrate Christ, that we don't actually celebrate the focus, the gift that God has given us rather than the traditions. Maybe we can follow the wise men in their example, much as the shepherds followed the angels' example, to plan ahead, to make preparations, to stay focused, to not be distracted. It breaks my heart when, when somebody posts 100 days till Christmas and you read the comment section, people go, oh, I can't believe it. I don't, I, you know, Christmas has become something that so many people dread because of all that goes into it and all the effort and the extra expense. And maybe simply Christmas enables us to scale back this year or scale back next year and make everything that leads up to it an act of worship, make everything that leads up to it a part of the celebration instead of a necessary obligation. As we've been saying each week, the first Christmas was pretty simple. And it's okay if this one is too. And if this Christmas isn't simple enough and the Spirit whispers in your ear, you could simplify even more next year. Then maybe have a conversation with your spouse or with your family and say, how could we simplify things a little bit? so that we don't get distracted. Because culture tells us that simple is boring and elaborate is better, but that's not necessarily the case. And so just to review, in case you missed a week or two, this all kind of culminates at points. We started with, with Joseph and Mary and the, the life-changing news that they received and how they met that news with simple faith and simple obedience. And then... In week two, we looked at the anticipation of Christmas. And this wonderful line from Zechariah chapter 9 that, that when we're prisoners of hope, we are free from fear. That no matter what 2020 has thrown at us, or 2021 could be worse. You know, people keep saying that I can't wait for 2020 to get over. Well, there's no guarantees that 2021 isn't going to have similar types of events. But when we are prisoners of hope, we're free from fear. We don't have to fear the future. We can be content in what we have now, and we can be confident in the glory that Christ has purchased for us forever with him. And then in week three, we talked about sharing Christmas, sharing it with others, sharing the good news. As the angels shared the good news with the shepherds, the shepherds then shared the good news with those around them, and everybody celebrated. That's our focus today. Make sure that we celebrate Christ, not just Christmas. Celebrate Christ. Celebrate the gift, the person of Jesus that has come to us. And don't let the familiarity of the story cause us to lose sight 
of the glory of that event, God coming to us, coming to earth to be one of us in order to redeem us, we're told, and make us a part of his family. And so if we're intentional, we can simplify and give ourselves margin and space to really, truly anticipate Christmas and to share Christmas with somebody else. I've been so blessed to hear stories that people have, have told me, oh, we did this this year. We've had people put stuff on our doorstep this year that had never happened before as people, the dominoes start tipping, and when one person shares, then that inspires somebody else to share and somebody else to share, and it's been wonderful to hear about that. But don't let it distract us. Don't let it pull our attention away from the real reason that we do all of this, to celebrate Christ, not just Christmas. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples that we have from Scripture to to see the angels celebrating and to respond in our own spontaneous moments of worship and excitement. To see the wise men going to great lengths to plan and prepare and to go and to see and to worship and to give. God, show us where we can simplify. Show us where we can build a holy anticipation. Show us where we can share and point others to the good news. And at the end of the day, Lord, help us to celebrate you in the quiet moments. May our thoughts and our hearts turn to you with gratitude, with praise, with celebration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.